नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चार वक्त पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल नेहरा ऑल राइट टुडे वी हैव विद अस निकुंज त्रिवेदी एंड पुष्पिता प्रसाद फ्रॉम कोना व्हिच इज द कोएलिशन ऑफ हिंदूज ऑफ नॉर्थ अमेरिका नाउ गिव यू अ बैकग्राउंड एज टू व्हाई आई डिसाइडेड टू डू दिस पॉडकास्ट सो एज यू गाइस हैव नोटिसड आई हैव बीन ट्राइंग टू डू मल्टीपल डिस्कशंस ऑन डिफरेंट एक्सप्रेशंस विद इन द हिंदू कम्युनिटी based on their own unique experience so in fact it was just in this week that i had a chat with drishti may where we spoke about hinduism from a british perspective we've had uh, you know suhag from the hindu american foundation a few times on the podcast where suhag has shared her perspective from the hindu american foundation's perspective i came across uh, kona recently uh, we had a email exchange and i was like you know what I think it's time to have another North American perspective uh so I'm actually very grateful to Nikunj and Pushpita for uh, coming on the podcast guys welcome yeah thanks for having us yeah glad to be here so Nikunj I'll start with you so first of all uh thanks for coming and uh, I'll request you to tell everybody a bit about yourself your background and your journey and then if you could tell everyone else a little bit about the organization kona itself and the the kind of work they get involved in absolutely so once again thank you for having us um you know really enjoy the podcast that you have put together um a lot of fans within our team as well and outside so i want to thank everybody and thank you for the viewers to um you know listen to us as well so let me start off by telling you a little bit about myself i was born and raised in india uh, in ahmedabad gujarat and i emigrated here when i was a you know young kid in high school and uh, so i've pretty much spent most of my life in america growing up here um and um i got involved in hindu activism during college days a little bit uh, earlier high school but mostly college days when i joined the hindu students council which is the largest hindu youth organization in north america and it gave me an exposure uh, exposure to a lot of the issues that our community faces uh the historical perspectives and also how to think about um new research that has been coming out about our civilization about history things like that and that empowered me to really work for the benefit of our of our community and organize the community within North America. Uh I currently serve as a chairman of Hindu Students Council also and I've been associated with that for over two decades. Um it's become my like base for um the activism that I've been involved in. And then uh, and on the professional when I'm not doing Hindu work I'm actually working um in banking industry. <laughs> uh I work in finance in New York City um and I live in New Jersey with my family. So that's a little bit about myself uh and then uh, let's talk about Kona a little bit. So back in 2019 um a series of events happened in India. You know whether it's the Article 370 abrogation or the CAA uh Ram Janmabhoomi many things uh, went on and what we started to see is this onslaught of um sort of this anti-Hindu sentiment that started to build in North America where people or students or you know high were you to high school or college even community members uh either at work or outside were being attacked by saying oh you guys are you know a bunch of oppressive people you know hinduism itself is oppressive uh you know the current government which is led by mr narendra modi is a hindu nationalist government uh which derives its inspiration from hinduism you know all kinds of these um outside tropes were thrown at our community in america and many people were very saddened by it um personally speaking around i would say october november we tried to do an event at rutgers university where we had invited um Vivek Agnihotri ji uh one of the producers who has done a documentary in Kashmir and uh, so he came over 
after we had announced it, we didn't think it was a big deal. So when we announced it, essentially what ended up happening was there was this massive backlash against us that, you know, as if we invited like a terrorist or something like that, you know, on campus and it should not be, he should not be invited. A lot of backlash. So Rutgers University got freaked out and they said, look, uh, there's some security issues, so you cannot do the event on campus. So we had to move the event out of campus into a Hindu temple. But even there, uh, there were a few, you know, not so nice people and troublemakers who came over and really created a massive ruckus. So that really like annoyed me and said, this is not acceptable. We need to do something. So a bunch of us felt the same way. And we started to talk to each other. There were people across North America who started to feel this heat and pain that our community is being portrayed like this. So then we all came together from Atlanta, from New Jersey, from the Bay Area, from Canada to Toronto, different places, and started Kona, the Coalition of Hindus of North America. And the objective there is a grassroots advocacy organization that works to improve the understanding about Hindu dharma and India within North America. So that's how we started off. And um, when I say grassroots, we'll talk more about the grassroots efforts. But it's really about not sitting in Washington, D.C. only. It's more about being on the ground in the cities, in the towns that we are part of and making a better effort over there locally and making sure that people understand our friends, family, neighbors, uh, township people, everybody else, and pushing back against any kind of anti-Hindu or Hindu phobic narrative that is out there to change things. Just like every other religion in America or in Canada, Hindus deserve similar treatment. So we should not be the pariahs, we should not be ostracized, and we should not be by prejudiced against. So that's a little bit about Kona. And uh, currently we have about, about 50, 60 different volunteers that are spread out across uh, the space which from uh, Calgary down to Texas and from the Bay Area out to New Jersey. Uh, so it's a, it's, growing, it's a growing team. We have a lot more people coming on board. Uh, so we're looking forward to continuing this movement. Great. So Pushpita, now here's the thing. When we talk about, so as uh, Nikunj mentioned, it's about grassroots uh, issues and uh, grassroots movement. So it's always nice to know wh what specific issues on the ground did Kona observe and uh, what did they do to tackle those issues? Uh, also, Pushpita, uh, I request you to tell everybody a bit about yourself before you do that. But uh, so, so my whole thought is that, like I was telling you offline, it's always nice if people are given tangible examples. Uh, mm -hmm. Otherwise, what happens is a lot of times people think, okay, this is the macro perspective. But what is the macro? If you could give us a few stories to explain sure. it in a in a personalized way. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for having us here. Uh, my name is Pushpita Prasad, and I live in the Bay Area, California, heart of Silicon Valley. So um, I actually grew up in Delhi, and like a lot of Indian immigrants, I came uh, to the U.S. for my master's degree. My background is actually in uh, mass communication and journalism, and so I've, I've been working in the communication industry in the tech uh, in the tech industry for a while now. I think what drove me to Hindu activism and Kona in specific is just that over the, you know, there's always been an anti-current or a trend against how Hindus and Indian Americans were portrayed in the West. But it has, and you know, one was hoping that it would get better as time went by and the world became more interconnected and diversity and inclusion became a bigger thing. But unfortunately, as far as Hindus are concerned, we've seen the trend go in the opposite direction. And like many people here, I was dismayed by how increasingly vicious and prejudiced and biased the conversation against us has been becoming. Um, the media has played a big role in that, but increasingly 
the impact of the media was coming in our day-to-day -day lives. And I think that is where the grassroots really matters. Because at the end of the day, most people, you know, if you're not Indian or you're not of Indian origin, you don't know that much about India. You don't care that much. And that's totally fair. And your perceptions are very largely based by what you hear in the media and popular culture. And so I think, you know, trying to take control of our own narrative is really important. Um, in the American context, especially the grassroots has become increasingly important. Like if you study the history, a lot of the a lot of the attacks would happen at the diplomatic level or at the federal level. And, you know, we'd say like, oh, the Indian, Indian consulate will deal with it or the Indian government will deal with it. None of us were really engaged and involved. Um, but increasingly over the past two or three years, uh, there has been a coordinated, I'd like to say coordinated attack at the American grassroots level. And this has been a learning experience for a lot of us, including me. I actually didn't know a lot of these different local level bodies and organizations existed when they suddenly started coming out of the what seemed to me like the blue and started passing resolutions here and there. It was very illogical. It made no sense. You know, why was the city of Seattle or some city, you know, city of Al County of Alameda? Who are these people to sit and really sit in, um, I guess, you know, as a, a as a judiciary over a massive country halfway across the world? But as you get more involved, you realize that this is the way the American setup is. And, you know, you can sit and cry about it or you can sit and try to get involved and make your own voice heard. At the end of the day, America is a democracy. And so, you know, it's all about standing up and getting counted and getting yourself heard. So I think that is why we keep talking about grassroots, because it is really all about the grassroots. And it is really about the power of individual volunteers or individuals coming together to make a difference. And I think, yeah, we but, can, I think you asked for stories and I think there's a yeah. lot of them. Um, there's a lot of them, but I think one of the things you uh, you know, we have a Hindu parents network that is part of our group, for example, okay, yeah. and one of the one of the big issues we see is how the textbooks, uh, it starts really early. We find kids in sixth and seventh grade actually being subjected to anti-India, anti-Hindu propaganda. We were talking about caste. Hinduism is pretty much taught in sixth or seventh grade as part of the world religions class. And the way it is framed is really quite negative and has been for a while. I'm in California. California actually had, a, the community had banded together a few years ago in 2014 to 2016 to try and correct that. Um, but what happens is when you are as a parent, you're living a busy life. You have your job, your kids, your family, you're dealing with your family in India, whatever. Your kid comes and says something about your textbooks or something that a teacher assignment gave. You really don't know where to go with it. And I think that is where an organization like Kona can really make a difference. And we've actually had that happen. We've had parents whose uh, kids received some really, I'll just say it, it's obnoxious assignments in seventh grade uh, and uh, framed around something like CAA. The, the assignment was just flat out full of falsehoods. It was given to them by the teacher. It just had like, you know, it said something like, oh, X million uh, Muslims could not vote in the 2019 election. And I can see, imagine the parents' reaction saying, what do I do with this? Like, how do you, how do you sort of make a claim that the crow is, is actually black? Like, it's just, you don't know where to begin. And I think that is where, when you have a network of people you can reach out to, so they connected with us and we understood the ridiculousness of the claim. And we worked with them to sort of help go back into the school and educate that, you know, the principal, the school board, ultimately it ended up being a good conversation in terms of helping fix the problem. So I just tried to give that as a small example of uh, what can be done by one concerned individual 
who then taps into the power of a network of other concerned individuals. Now, here's the thing. So let's take this issue and let's go forward with this, the textbook issue, because from what I remember, it was uh, the standard American stereotype, which is cast cows and curry, right, Nikunj? And chaos. So we're, we're, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, another thing. It's very funny. They, so they use two contradictory descriptions for Indians. Uh, there's chaos in India and Indians are very otherworldly at a philosophical level. How can somebody who's very otherworldly be chaotic? That is something I have yet to figure out. Because bhai, agar main otherworldly ho, main jungle mein akela hoonga. Magar main jungle mein akela nahi ho. Chaos honne ke liye to mujhe millions or billions of log chahiye mere saath. So dono kaise manage kiya wo unko puchna padega. Magar wo abhi, uh, that is for some other day. But now this is the thing. So uh, as we say, pop culture understanding of a religion or or a meme or or a culture matters now what is the pop culture understanding of christianity let's say globally oh love jesus is all about love right uh, what is the pop culture narrative for islam islam is a religion of peace uh, i don't see anybody giving a narrative for islam where basically gay come here rooftop throw you down that's not the narrative for islam uh, it, it, let's just face the facts. I'm not saying that should be the narrative for Islam either. Uh, there are bad things uh, happening in every society, in every culture, in every text. But the point is, why did the Hindu community let... That's my question to you, Nikunj. Why did the community let this caste cows and curry narrative come up? Were they too busy working at the 7-Eleven and their gas station or their Silicon Valley job saying... No, so uh, no, this is exactly, it's a very good question. So two things. First of all, I, I would urge you to read Ronald Inden, uh, his book called Imagining India. And the question you asked earlier, why the wake side, you know, you're saying that uh, chaos and other, the other side is otherworldly. So there is a pretty nice uh, discussion that he has within the book called Imagining India. Now, let's move on to your question. So the answer is multi multifaceted. So I'm going to give you a couple of different types of layers here. The first is a lot of people who came to the U.S. Are, and Canada are immigrants, right? So like you said, you know, you know let them say what they're saying. Uh, let's just put our heads down, keep going. So that that attitude continued to manifest in generations after generations. So then like when the the, the father came or the mother came here, worked in the 7-Elevens, worked in the Silicon Valley. The kid grew up and the kid is like, you know, oh, they're saying this about India. Don't worry about it. Just go and do your math. You know, uh, you, you, in, in a year, you'll not have to worry about all this stuff. Okay. So that avoiding of the question then manifested into college. So in college, what happens is you are forced there. The question is forced upon you and you have, uh, uh, you have organizations and groups that actually tell you something totally different that you as a Hindu are born casteist or you are, you know, your, your parents were casteist. So you are casteist, things like that, uh, as, a, as if it's like a generational uh, issue. So then what happens is there is nobody who, to explain this thing. Okay. Nobody there. No parent is going to say, better do your math because the math is already done. The kid is now finding their identity, right? So this internalized, this whole uh, multi-generational issue, we keep avoiding it as if, because we just don't want to deal with it. Number one. Number two is, because of colonialism, you know, the experiments that happened over the last few hundred years, we have internalized this Hindu phobia. Okay. We have essentially said that we have to, there must be something in our text and there must be something completely wrong with our culture to for all these Gora people, you know, the white people to tell you how bad you are. 
and how they what they gave us is a good thing. You know, the postal system, the army, the administration, that was all a good thing. And you can read Dharampalji in many different books that talked about how that's not a good thing. What we had before was actually much different and better. There's a reason why all these white people from Europe decided to come to India to do something. It's not because they were like, oh, let's go and study philosophy in a university in India. No, no, no. There was a reason behind it. Right? So that's, the re that, that's a very important. The internalization due to the colonial experiment has had devastating effects on the sort of the Indian diaspora, the Hindu American diaspora, whoever, however you want to call, you know, however you want to slice and dice us. But we all come from the same origin in that sense. So these factors have really been the case. And the third thing is, the, the the see what's the factors you have to understand the the forces at play here right we are against uh, civilizations that have a very centralized a uh, very organized way of looking at things in life okay when i say organized it's not necessarily a good thing organized religions and, and abrahamic traditions have had a very negative um, sort of like you know footprint if you want to call it across the world uh, and you just have to look at history but when we look at our culture right and all of it is like, you know, you have multiple ways of doing things. You have multiple ways of like sampradayas and, and traditions and texts and things like that. And there is no organized way of looking at this or not, not no organized, but very few organized ways of looking at it. So the community is just starting to think about how to organize themselves. Right. And that was one of the reasons why we started Kona to help kind of organize the, the regular grassroots advocacy folks. So these are some of the things that kind of make us where we are and why our situation is as it is, because we don't invest. We want to create the next doctors, lawyers and businessmen. We don't want to create the next sociologist, anthropologist, the Indologist or the next media journalist and, or the next social, you know, social justice warrior, things like that. So that vacuum is filled by other forces who are not so benign and who are not so favorable to the Hindu community. Now, here's the thing. So you, you, you raised some interesting points about um, the understanding of caste. Now, I've, uh, I, even in the recent discussion with Drishti, I said this. So let me come to you first, Pushpita, and then uh, I'll, I, I want your opinion on this too, Nikunj. Now, sure. The, the North American experience. So I actually, this question is both of you. Um, so my, my whole thing is that I had predicted this, by the way, a few years ago. I would keep coming back and, you know, I'll go back to America and Canada, come back here. And I was seeing the change happening in that society. I was like, this oppression Olympics that the Indians living in America or, or Canada desperately want to enter. They're not going to get a seat at the table. They're too rich for that. So cancel, basically. It doesn't matter. Brown skin is not going to work out because their worldview is very different. And they're going to bring in the caste reality of India. Now, the question is not whether there is casteism in an X way or a Y way. That doesn't matter. The point is, there is some... If there is smoke, there must be some fire. There's, there's fire. So we cannot deny that. But the point is, so Pushpita, does caste privilege add itself into a handbag or a suitcase in Mumbai airport or Delhi airport or Ahmedabad airport and then travel with the Indian who's traveling in that 
plane with that bag then suddenly that caste privilege is opened in that suitcase and then suddenly it transforms itself miraculously in the united states of america and then that so called upper caste person who has nothing to do with it in north america does they uh, does that person get any benefit does privilege travel from one country to the other yeah you just said so much there um you know i will have to say first of all how are we defining privilege right and we are may we are falling into a lot of traps in what you just said because yes a lot of uh, there is probably uh, i think there have been some statements made that a lot of immigrants are upper caste so i don't think any of us have data to prove one way or another because what i like to remind everybody is in my whole immigration process there was no place i had to check off a caste column whether it was my indian immigration documents and passport whether it was my american visa applications when i did the green card whatever through this whole process there has never been an indicator of where to put caste so any day any statements that are made are probably maybe true i'm not saying they're wrong but they are not data driven first of all and if you start doing policy you better have data to back it all up and not just make assumptions second how do you know what caste i am or anybody else is um kona is a really small and new organization but we ourselves have representation from all the different jatis um and you know that's been a fabulous and in the interesting part is you say did caste privilege come with us there are some of us uh, so i think as nikunji said we came together last year and a lot of us had been working on caa and you know had been involved with had been having daily conversations with each other and it was not till january february when the caste issue began to pop that i actually discovered that two of the ladies i was working with were apparently of you know what you could say bahujan samaj or different samajas you know it was just not part of their identity in so that tells you everything does caste come with them does caste privilege come with them or lack of privilege come with them in fact uh, one of them actually ended up publishing an article recently uh, which made its way all the way into washington post and she actually talked about how irritated she was at this whole caste conversation and how she was being positioned at the bottom of this caste pyramid which she completely does not agree with and yeah. how her son was then being made to think that he was lower caste or at the bottom of some pyramid and actually she was so irritated that she actually wrote that article just out of like i have to kind of you know therapeutically write this down and i'm like smita ji this is fabulous we can like go with this so i think that's an example of even those of us who are not you know we fall into that narrative that we all must be upper caste we must all be privileged second thing is i've been involved in a lot of the california uh, pushback here so we had a big public hearing on april 29 when the santa clara county human rights commission was trying to is trying to make caste a protected category um i was part of a panel of six hindus that got to speak and i always bring this up you can go and look at the youtube video but uh, two of those panel were again what you would not were not upper caste hindus and they were the only two hindus who speakers who were interrupted by the chair of the commission so it goes to see that who gets interrupted you know the folks these this whole commission and this whole hearing was supposedly set up to fight for justice for lower caste hindus and the two lower caste hindus who were trying to make a point saying these e- equality labs folks types of people don't speak for us please hear me out every time they tried to share their experience the chair interrupted them and again i question this whole notion of privilege 
because a lot of them come, you know, I, I had a privileged background, so I will acknowledge my own privilege. But a lot of the people I have met with, interacted with, and say they don't come from backgrounds that are privileged at all. So it's a little interesting when somebody who was, you know, born and brought up in American suburbs claims to be, you know, having less privilege than somebody who grew up in a 150 square meter house uh, apartment shared with six other people and struggled with everything. So I think there's many ways to dice privilege. Yeah. So, so you know what they say, Nikunj. So here's yep. the argument. I, I, I've heard these arguments. I'm giving you every single argument that I've heard. So they've said, but look, there is, I accept the fact that I think a large portion of the diaspora is what in India are supposedly the uh, non-SCST OBC cast. That, that's a fact. Nobody needs to deny that. Uh, whether we like it or not, India ka system is so weird hai, surname se jat pata chal jati hai. Pata chalti hai, whether you like it or not, ye fact hai humare samaj ka. But so what is my question? So what? Mera point ye hai ki, and then you know how they define that. It's like you could afford a plane ticket. That's why you ended up in the United States of America. I was like, Abhi ye bhi guna ho gaya. I was like, but this is my point. I know n number of people who went from, let's say, Mumbai or Ahmedabad or small towns in India. Yes, they somehow managed to get a ticket. But when they get, get there, they worked in gas stations as attendants. Uh, you know, New Jersey, mein aaj bhi self-service. Uh, I, I mean, I'm stating facts here. New Jersey, the Indian community works in gas stations where they basically fill petrol. You, there are these people. The people go and, you know, try to drive an Uber or an all. Boss, us samaj mein, that is a person struggling. Abhi struggle ka definition change ho gaya hai, magar the person who has left India and gone there, they have to struggle in many cases for 5 years, 10 years, 15 years. Kaun si privilege hai uski? Us bande ki privilege kya hai? Mere ko ye samjhao koi. Look, if you're going to say they are from a certain caste matrix as per the Indian reality point taken what has that got to do with their reality in america does an average american look at me as an indian and say oh khatri idara i mean who does that <laughs> nobody does that in america who the hell and i asked them i was like tum to aise baatein kar rahe ho you guys are talking about caste as if pata nahi tum to kal pothi leke baith gaye the aur tumko meri jaat malum hai baat kya the point is why is this only an issue for Hindus? If that is the case, then why is it not for a certain type of Italian that could only migrate from Italy to the United States of America? Only a certain type of... Bhai, unme bhi jaat thi. Ek hi particular jaat ka gaya na, wahan se yaan. To wo bhi to privilege hai, acknowledge kar. Magar unme nahi hai. Achha, and secondly, Nikunj, this is something I want to ask you because I asked Drishti too. What is the Kona perspective on that? Bhai, Modi ko jo karna hai, Modi karega India mein. Thik hai? You guys are Americans. You're living the American dream or the nightmare conditions apply. Whatever it is. The point is, Modi does something in India. CA. Baba, America ko kya lena dena usse? Why are you answering? I mean, so does an average German-American answer for what Angela Merkel does in Germany is my question. Nikunj, do they have to? No, they do not. No, not even no, Chinese people don't have to either. For example, with all the things going on wow. between America and China, they don't have to, right? So, uh, but I want to come back. I'll, I'll come to that second. I want to talk about privilege for a second. Now, you know, I'll tell you my story, okay? I'll tell you my ancestor story and my story. 
So while, with my last name, you cannot, uh, you know, you obviously know that I'm a Brahmin by birth in that sense. Okay. Now, my grandfather, okay, he was also a Brahmin, of course. He used to work in the most remote places in Bihar, in Jharkhand, in Orissa, etc., working in coal mines, working in factories, and eventually had a store, things like that. Okay. He suffered. He used to live in forests in where like you have tigers and lions and wolves to make a living. Okay. My, my father, my, 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 his siblings grew up in such an environment where they had no money. They used to eat only rotis and chai as their breakfast, sometimes even lunch and dinner. Okay. Then that continued when they moved to Ahmedabad. My father used to work in a factory. Okay. A Brahmin guy working in a factory. If, and making a, barely a living and supporting a family, uh, our family, plus my aunt who got widowed at a very early age. All of this was my, my dad was supporting. My got married to my mom, all that stuff. That continued coming to America. Okay, my dad came here and worked on the streets of New York City, distributing newspapers and cleaning like, you know, just uh, the store, managing a little store. Okay, this is the immigrant story of my father. He was hit by a, a black guy on in the 80s on his head. His head got split. He ended up in a hospital in Pennsylvania and was out of employment for a few, you know, for a few months and stuff. Finally, he ended up in a factory in New Jersey. Okay. For 20 plus years or 30 years almost actually, he worked in a factory as a you know, five, ten dollars, fifteen dollars an hour job. Okay. When I came over here from the day I landed in America in, in October of 1993. I was distributing papers on the streets of New Jersey. I used to clean bathrooms. I used to cut meat. I have worked in uh, convenience stores. I have worked in distributing flyers. So you name it, okay? And all that while trying to attain an education, going to university. Then on top of that, my father got disabled and I ended up working. My brother ended up working and studying at the same time. So what privilege are we talking about here? Okay, what nonsense, garbage, privileged nonsense that we keep talking about all the time to you know, basically shut down our voices and, 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 and basically denounce our immigrant story. Okay, this is the story of myself. And I can tell you, I am surrounded by many, many families and friends who have a similar story. It's not that everybody ended up from like these upper echelons or IITs in India into Silicon Valley. No, many, many people have this story. They come from very humble beginnings and, and, and families and economic backgrounds and all these things. There's really no privilege here. Okay. So just because I'm born as a Brahmin, do not make me feel guilty about my, oh, you know, you have a privilege. That's what I call bullshit. Okay. Excuse my language. So now I want to come to your point about why this is a problem. You see, there is a fetish. Okay. As I told you, because India is probably the only civilization. And when I say India, not the country, I'm talking about civilization. Okay, India is kind of the only civilization that is uh, still standing, all right? And there is this fetish for the past several hundred years, if anything, to continue to portray this culture as backward, savage, casteist, as if there is nothing else good about it, okay? And ever, so everything that happens, 95% of Hindus, I guess, live in India. So every time there's a thing in India, there's always a blame game going on. Oh, you American Hindus or you Canadian Hindus, you must be supporting Modi and you must be like this. 
So, you know, this is the type of nonsense that we see. But if you look at Germans, if you look at Italians, if you look at Chinese, if you look at Armenians, if you look at any, any, any like even, uh, you know, Israelis, Palestinians, you pick the different categories. Okay? They're, no, they're not answerable to what happens in the sort of the countries that their parents came from or any of these things. And there's always this fetish, like I said, and I keep using the word fetish because it is like that to show everything uh, about India through this lens of caste, cow, curry, and chaos. And I added the fourth C because you can see how it's being shown as a land of chaos, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's these, uh, you know, CAA laws, Kashmir, everything. India is always about chaos, right? So this, and then Indian Americans and Indo-Canadians or Hindu-Americans, Hindu-Canadians have to then answer for some kind of sins of the father, essentially. So that's how this entire narrative gets portrayed again and again. And then, oh, by the way, you are privileged, so you sh you don't get a chance to talk about it because your last name is Trivedi. You are, you know, this upper caste person, and by default, you're privileged, and therefore you shouldn't be talking. Let the other people excuse me. You blame my religion. You blame my ancestors. You blame my culture. You blame my community, and then you don't expect me to answer. That's not going to work. Yeah, it's it's a severe scenario. I don't know why this uh, kind of uh, situation is only there for Indians. I think, I don't know, I still stick to my narrative. I think I blame the community. The community was oh, yeah. too busy making money and the community did not. Look, I'm. this is coming from someone who has literally done a monologue who believes in the annihilation of Jati Varna. I say it openly. I still believe in it. I believe it's a third-rated system. I always have said that. I mean, somebody had said, you know, so what do you know about Khatris? I was like, I don't want to know about Khatris. I don't care about Khatris. It is the most irrelevant thing to me in my life. That thing that I used to write on the calendar on my school because that's the system in India. Our school ke calendar mein caste name likna caste likni padti thi identity. So hum likte the. That's how I know my caste is Khatri. I could care less about it. I believe in the complete and total annihilation of the Jati Varna system. On that, I am on board with Ambedkar. But that's my personal view. Yeah. So now let's talk about push. our, you had asked the question about Kona's view uh, on caste. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, so, so where we stand is basically, we have been doing a lot of workshops too. So for us, uh, and again, we may you know agree to disagree on these things, naturally speaking. For us, you know, the caste as a system, as it stands today, is a colonial, as a racist, white supremacist colonial construct that has been thrust upon Indian society over the past several hundred years through the colonial policies. The system as it stands in India today, okay? Now, whether there was Jati Varna discrimination and all that stuff, that we can agree to disagree or how to the extent of which it existed and all that stuff, that's a different conversation. But all I can say, as it stands today, the caste system that we see, the monster that we see, the, the discrimination that exists, the social discrimination, that is a definite construction by the colonial experiment. That's number one. Number two, having said all that stuff, for us, Hindu dharma provides the toolkit to fight any kind of discrimination. It is not the cause of discrimination. It provides the toolkits. There are issues in every single culture, but our culture has a multitude of things. When we talk about, for example, there's always this idea that Hindu dharma is defined by the Manuspriti. Guess what? Manuspriti is not a, the defining feature of Hindu dharma. And that's what we believe as far as Kona is concerned, as far as North American Hindus are concerned. That Manuspriti doesn't define Hindu dharma. Most of us don't keep a copy of Manuspriti. I don't wake up in the morning and do some Manuspriti japa, japa every day. I'm, doing, I'm looking at Bhagavad Gita. I'm looking at Mahabharata. I'm looking at Ramayana. I'm looking at many different other things, right? Yoga, uh, meditation, many things that make me a Hindu. 
and create my Hindu identity. I'm not waking up in the morning and reading the Manuspriti and saying, oh, what is chapter 2, verse 13? And how do I, how do I go about uh, implementing that and show that, hey, Shudra, you should not be talking to me. That is not what, what we do as Hindus. Okay, so that is our um, you know, stance. Hindu dharma is not the cause of these types of social discriminations. We, it, it provides a toolkit to fight as our acharyas, as our rishis, as our you know, various different leaders have done throughout the history. Okay, now obviously I would disagree with you because I do think the religion has a role to play in this. And sure. as someone who reads religion all the time as a business, I can actually, but this podcast is not about that. I mean, maybe some other day and I can give we'll you verses. Separately. Absolutely. Yeah, verses after verses after verses after verses, even in the Bhagavad Gita. I'm not saying Krishna promoted caste, but for example, sure. 9.32, what does Krishna say? He says, even if you are a woman or a Vaishya or a Shudra, all of you come to me. Now, Krishna sure. is saying it doesn't matter what you are. Yeah. All of you come to me. So definitely Krishna is not promoting caste, Jati Varna. But what is Krishna saying? Bhai, samaj mein to hai. Samaj mein to ye hai. Magar tum log ne ho kiya hai. Magar main tumhare upar hoon. Main tumhye bula raha hoon. So I take that. But that doesn't mean the society did not have it. Even the Gita talks about it and acknowledges it. Now, and I don't think we, I think we totally agree that society... In, in the past has had discrimination, today has discrimination. It would be silly to deny atrocities. There's a lot of them that happen. I think what we take issue with is every society has groupism, every society has hierarchy, every society has atrocities with, you know, humans at the end, a lot of humans at the end of the day are nasty to each other. The only issue is, and yes, all of those need to be tackled. We are all committed to the cause of social justice and equality. What we object to is kind of tying it and saying the popular caste narrative basically says the world's 1.2 billion Hindus, you all have a spot in this pyramid. You're assigned that spot at birth. It doesn't change and it hasn't changed for thousands of years. That is the narrative we have a problem with. And especially you talked about in the American context, how does that play out with, forget people like me who came from India and even have inkling of Jati, et cetera. Yeah. What about our kids and the third generations that grow up here? They mm -hmm. barely know that they are Hindu, let alone what their Jati, Varna, Sampradaya, Gotra, Shrini, et cetera, may be. However, if the current set of legislation sets and the narrative is to be believed, just because they are born into a South Asian family, they are, this is like with them for life. And I cannot think of a more racist construct, frankly, to say that just because you were born into a, you know, you have certain types of origins, that you are guilty of a propensity to discriminate. I mean, if you said that about any other community, you would be tarred and feathered for being, you know, racist and you should be. But funnily enough, you know, you can make these statements about the Indian community or the South Asian community and be lauded as a social justice warrior. Um, and then what, are, what about the children who are products of interfaith marriages, interracial marriages, adopted children, you know, how, where do they fit into this immutable pyramid hierarchy that is thrown at us in every part, you know, article that there is, textbook that there is. I think that is what we are pushing back against. You will find a lot of people in India and everywhere who believe in Jati Varna, who don't believe in Jati Varna. So I don't think we get into theological debates. It's whatever you want, whatever, you know, rocks your boat, I guess, is my take on it. But once you start talking about it from a policy or legislative perspective, you better be grounded in much more solid data and much more accurate things. And you can, you know, otherwise debates are fun and we can debate forever. Yeah. So, so if I was to summarize the view of Kona, this is 
and correct me if I've summarized sure. it incorrectly. So, like I said, there is a pop culture view. That's what Kona wants to fight against, number one. Number two, everything has an essence. Now, in the understanding of Hinduism in the West, they somehow seem to be saying that Jati Varna and caste is the only essence of Hinduism. And it ends there. And they somehow love cows. So it's yeah. like Moo Moo on one side and Jati Varna on the other side. And in between, they'll try to give you some curry. So that's the essence of Hinduism. Am I getting it right? And that's what you guys are fighting against. You guys don't want to deny anything that... Um, that is the reality. Like Pushpita said, um, she's from India, right? She's seen things in India. She knows what the reality is in India. So anybody who denies it is just a liar. Correct. I have worked in SCST villages in India. Yeah. I work in slums in Mumbai. I have seen it with my own eyes. Anybody who says that, I'm going to deny it. Because are it, I see it. How can I say no? Yeah. I see it on a daily freaking basis. So am I getting your view right? Yeah. I mean, essentially what you said, yes, we are fighting against this sort of silly portrayal of Hindu dharma across and India across this caste, cow, curry, chaos nonsense. Second thing is we are not denying the discrimination that exists within the society, right? Just like every other society, it exists. But what we're trying to say is do not define and do not make that as, a, as the British did. They essentialized it. They exoticized it to make sure that that's the only description when it comes to Hinduism in India. Okay. That's not what we are about we have to get a chance to understand that we you know whether you're in india whether you're outside there are different ways of approaching hindu dharma there are different ways of so how social uh, you know, sort of social changes happen within the society the broader hindu society we should not be pigeonholed just like the british did into this idea of that oh you have to have a caste and oh by the way because you have a caste you're discriminating against other castes right this pyramid that 1.2 billion people sit into so that's the narrative that we are against. And that's the narrative that we say that does not define us, that we should be given equal respect and equal chances, just like every other culture and tradition, to define who we are and how we can go about making this world a better place. Because if you otherize us, that's no different than creating fissures between different people and, and conflict. So that's the one that that's what we're trying to sort of stand up against. Pushpadaj, please go ahead and add. No, and I, I think that is it. Ultimately, I think it's interesting when we ask to be treated as every other community, we are supposedly seen as privileged or attacking other people. And I'll get away from caste and even just go back to what you guys were talking about, CAA and other issues. We are talking about kids in seventh grade, sixth grade, high school being asked to explain some arcane, at the end of the day, arcane Indian politics. If you are a teenager, why the heck do you, you barely know what's happening in American politics? You know, you're, despite your teacher telling you, oh, this is the president, this is the governor, this is how the system works. Most, the average teenager doesn't care about politics. The average person doesn't care about politics. So the politics of the place they live in. But now you have a sixth, seventh grader who's suddenly being held to task for politics for a country halfway across the world where he or she, if you are taking the, you know, traditional, uh, the typical Indian Indian American teenager growing up here, they may go to India once a year, once every two years, spend a few weeks at different relatives' houses, eating different foods and, you know, being introduced and getting pretty bored at the end of the day. They are supposedly held to task for what's happening in the world's largest, most raucous democracy. It's an unfair burden on teenagers of Indian origin. For, I, I just say that frankly. 
And my own kids have been subjected to a lot of this just because of my own political passion and interest. But I am an anomaly too. Most people don't discuss Indian politics that much at home. So you have a child and a teenager who is at a pretty vulnerable time in their life, dealing with all the angst that teenagers have to deal with, you know, trying to carry a heavy course load, dealing with hormones, trying to get girlfriends, boyfriends, be popular, stay up to trend with all the normal teenage stuff. And into that mix, suddenly they're supposed to be experts on you know, CAA or caste or whatever the burning topic in India is. And, you know, you follow Indian politics There's a new topic almost every week or day. So that's an unfair burden right there in our community that a Chinese American teenager is not expected to carry that, a, that a, you know, that a, a teenager from Saudi Arabia is not expected to carry. And I'm not saying they should be expected to carry. I'm just saying that give our own kids that same freedom to be American teenagers growing up and worrying about American school issues, not worrying about what is Modi up to or what is, you know, happening in India. If they're interested, that's fine. But that should not be an expectation. And that's the double standard right there. And we shouldn't well, accept that double standard. I, I agree with you. If if they have to, they make, they make um, American kids or Canadian kids answer for Narendra Modi's policy on the farmers' protest, I want each and every Italian kid, each and every African-American kid answer for every single policy of everything in Africa. You know what? The unemployment rate right now in South Africa is 30%. Why don't each and every South African-American answer? Why the hell is the unemployment rate in South Africa so high? But you know what? That's not going to happen. But last year, it was actually interesting, right? Because the year that Indian and Indian Americans were being bashed for CAA, we also had China, there were year-long protests in Hong Kong. It was never part of the American teenager conversation, nor should it be. And similarly, CAA protests should not be part of the Indian American teenager conversation unless, and it's not, it's not a victimless crime. I think that's what people need to remember that uh, they, a lot of teenagers feel bullied, they feel traumatized, and they basically, they want to fit in. That's the big criteria of teenagers. You want peer acceptance, you want to fit in. And so what do you do? You sort of start to embrace this self-hating identity because it's too hard to push back. You know, you're already dealing with teenage stuff, and the last thing you want to do is become this weird person defending, you know, fascist Modi or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, yep, yep, I agree. India is terrible. You know, my, you know, and so you're starting to get this self-hate and trauma being built into these kids for no fault of their own. You may have your issues with India. You're entitled to that. You may have your issues with, you know, whatever's going on with Indian politics. But an American teenager growing up here should not be the victim from all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And you see this trauma playing out so much, the bullying and stuff on Instagram and on TikTok and many different places where teenagers hang out. And you see this narrative that, oh, you know what, if you don't agree with us, right? There was a girl in Canada, just to tell you a story, there was a girl in Canada who basically had Punjabi friends, like Sikh friends, right? And, uh, you know, she said, look, there's a two, there are two sides to the story. It's not just black and white. You guys just bring it up. I don't, don't bring me into this thing. She was basically ostracized okay she lost her best friends and she was basically said that if you don't agree with us on this one you are completely out of our our, our uh, circle okay so she was thrown out basically this is the kind of pressure that exists right so other communities unfortunately are taught in their homes about these things but our community is busy doing math and doing science and saying beta go and do science don't worry about this but guess what folks your kids are going through this right now 
And if you decide not to do anything about it, you may end up losing your child. Okay, I'll be very frank. Uh, if you decide to do something about it, you can come and join us and work with us on that. And that's what grassroots advocacy is about, tackling those issues on the ground within our families, within our local communities. And that what, that's what bubbles up at the national level. Look, I, I would just like to add something over here. I think there are two realities over here. There Are there ideologues in life? Yes, there are ideologues. And seem, what seems to happen in the age of social media is that, look, in fact, I had even tweeted about it, that the thing with normal people is normal people don't tweet a lot because they live their normal lives. They, unke paas itna time nahi hota. they just go about, you know, going to the 7-Eleven, going to the gas station, going with the parents uh, for a nice dinner or going with their families for a nice dinner and they don't do anything. The ideologues seem to talk all the time mm -hmm. and the ideologues create an impression. Now, the ideologues are not the representative sample of the community. And let me be very clear. The ideologues are not a representative sample of the Sikh community in Canada because there are surveys about Khalistani trends in Canada. I, I don't speak for America or England, but I know for sure about Canada. I've studied the material there. And it's around 10 to 15%. Baki ke nahi hai. So the, the, and, and I see this happening nowadays a lot in India. Oh, sare Khalistani. I'm sare Khalistani. Na, tu to ek ek ko mil ke so it's it's actually silly it's silly yeah. but the point is that how does one acknowledge that look reality can be multi-layered but at the same time talk about this and also why the hell does vokism <laughs> seem to have so much love <laughs> for hindus it's as if you know the woke Sometimes I feel Trump Trump So sometimes it comes off. Obviously, I'm being facetious here. I'm just kidding. But the point is that we need to get real. Do communities have problems? Absolutely, yes. Which community doesn't have a problem? Every community does. But to say that that is the raison d'etre of that community, that's the essence. This is what you are. This is the summum bonum of you. That's it. Tum yeho, your stand for life is ridiculous. And to be very honest, like you said, racist. It, it is downright racist if you ask me. But now let me take a few of the live viewers' questions because I think there are a lot of good questions and it will only enhance our discussion. So let's start. I'm not going to take the names of the people who have asked the questions, but I'll still take the question. So somebody has said, Audrey et al. published a field guide in courts labeling opposition to their views as Hindutva attack. So how does one scale up a fight against their reach? She, they, they did that. Anybody who criticized them is a Hindutva. That's such a straw man and an easy way to get out. Yes. So uh, give us two days, two, three days. There's some, uh, you know, you'll see something. Uh, essentially, there's a professor named Vishwa Adluri uh, from Hunter College in New York. He has written a paper called Cry Hindutva. Okay. So I like to use that word called Cry Hindutva because that's how you silence Hindus. 
So these people, when they publish this guide, essentially are deflecting the real concerns that Hindu Americans have uh, and global Hindus have about the portrayal of Hindu Dharma. We talked about this for the past hour, essentially, of how it's all about caste. And if you look at their guide, so-called, they're completely denying the existence of something called Hindu phobia, right? And they're saying it that it's a recently coined term by the Hindu right. It's not. You know, Hindu scholars have been working on this. There was a recent conference at Rutgers University called Understanding Hindu Phobia, where scholars were the ones who came up with the definition, who were talking about this. Before that, you have, you know, non-Hindu professors like Stephen Prothero from Boston University has written a paper, uh, like a small booklet called Hindu Phobia and Hindu Philia in the U.S. And he talks about early 20th century where there was a lot of Hindu phobia that actually existed. Hindu Human Rights of UK has come up with some research about the existence of the word Hindu phobia in 1883 in York newspaper. Okay, so it's not a recently coined word by the Hindu right. It has been existing for a while. The phenomenon has existed for a long time, even during the colonial times and after. So it's not a new coined word. But when we try to bring these issues out, right, there is this crying of Hindutva. Oh, you guys are all Hindutva. You cannot. You, we can say what we want to say. But you, if you say something, you are privileged and you're Hindutva and you are this upper caste, all these things. The second thing is look at the uh, section called intersectional hate. Okay, The entire section relies on sources that have an intense disdain for Hindu dharma, that have called openly for dismantling of Hindu dharma. They have called Hindus the sick people of India. They have said, can Hindus be ever, can you be a Hindu without... Uh, harming or without, uh, you know, destroying Muslims, Dalits, Bahujans. These are the types of questions. Holi is a casteist festival where men throw sperms at females. Huh? I mean, disgusting stuff. Okay. There's a, a conference that happened at University of Michigan where groups like Equality Labs and Kancha Ilai were speaking. You know what they said? Hinduism must be destroyed. These are the sources that are in we'll the Hindutva manual. Okay. Now think about it. You are going to, this manual is supposed to be used by South Asian professors who can go to the university administration and say, hey, you know, I'm being attacked by Hindu trolls. So every 75 Hindu American temples and spiritual organizations wrote a letter recently that we had, um, you know, set set up. Are all of those people Hindutva? Are all of those people saying that do not disparage Hind uh, Sri Rama like this? Do not say Bhagavad Gita endorses mass slaughter. Do not say you know, uh, rape, gang rape is actually endorsed in Mahabharata. When you say those things, Hindus have a, Hindus are going to have an issue because you're not saying that about Islam. You're not saying that about Christianity. You're not saying that about any other religion. So why does it Why does it only have to be Hindu? But when we raise these issues, they're going to cry Hindutva. That's what this manual really is to deflect and essentially promote Hindu phobia and, and, and sort of institutionalize Hindu phobia by denying Hindus a voice and gagging their voice, actually. So that's what the concern really is. So in order for us to counter that, we need to push back and say, hey, this doesn't, def you know, what you're trying to do is completely deflect the situation and argument. And you're you're suppressing our voice and you're denying us the, uh, an opportunity to define Hindu phobia, which, by the way, is not a Hindu right or BJP IT cell word. This is actually coined by scholars and have been working on this. So that's what our perspective is. And we'll have more to say. Uh, you know, over the next uh, few days and weeks and stuff like that. All right. So, Pushpita, someone has said, as someone living in New York, how does one target the counter, the targeted harassment dashed out towards Indians, especially Hindus, after people learn their background, irrespective of political leaning? I think this is someone living in the United States who's asked this question. 
Um, interesting. So I think the biggest way to counter harassment is grow up, I mean, speak up. There is a no, I mean, there is no magic pill about this. Um, it's, you know, if we can see this in the workplace, the squeaky wheel gets the attention. We've sort of always been the ones trying to fly under the radar and it's not working. It's just not working. If you feel you're harassed, if you feel you're targeted, it's not going to go away. You know, if your kids are in school, they are taught this, that hiding from a bully doesn't help. So the only way to, and you know, bullying is not just a school phenomenon. Bullying can happen in adult life too. And so the only way to do it is to confront it. And I think that is where organizations like, we feel organizations like Kona can really make a difference because you don't have to fight it on your own. You can reach out to a network of people who've been through the same experiences and you can connect with them. You can get support from them and you can be part of a network to fight back. I also want to bring up one quick point is that we've had a lot of talk about Modi and Indian politics, but I was first drawn to the cause of Hindu activism back when, you know, and the California textbook fight was actually 2014 to 2016. So it had nothing to do with Modi. Um, you know, textbooks are revised every 10 years and the community had been fighting the decade prior to 2014 to gird together and get this battle. And during that hearing, we had a lot of Hindu teenagers who, like I said, stood, stood up and spoke up against the experiences they were facing. It helped them, but they were viciously attacked. So for everybody who thinks this is a political issue that suddenly magically appeared in 2015, they need to just realize that this has been going on for a long time. Yeah. All right. So Nikanj, are Jati and Varna are understood as distinct concepts by North Americans or it is just the generic colonial conflation of the two undercasts? I think you've answered this. I just yes. wanted to. Yeah. So we've yeah. covered. This. No, it, it, it's, a, it's a conflation. You know, this, so uh, this is not a, this is not a question, but a statement. But I want to read this again. I feel bad when you know people people uh, have gone through these things in their life. So somebody has said. Uh, my dad faced reverse discrimination at work. My Catholic school teachers have mocked me. Similar narrative seems to be coming up in the USA. I'm a Brahmin by caste. What is my fault? I didn't decide my caste. So it's it's fair. I mean, yar, pata nahi, mujhe nahi malum. Yar, bachon ne kya guna kiya? Wo log paida ho gaye. To abhi India ka system hai. Usme kya kar sakte hain koi? I, mean, I, I, I believe that. It's it's a very big problem. That's exactly what we face here also. In America, maybe yeah, yeah. India, maybe I'm sure it will be here. But in, in America, we face this. Canada, we face the same thing. You know, this reminds me of the, the 1891 Criminal Tribes Act. You know, automatically, with the policy was that if you are born into something, you are by default guilty of a of being a propensity to to commit crime, right? So this is like the repair, the sort of like repeat of the Criminal Tribes Act. To say, if you're born a Brahmin, you must be casteist, and therefore you are oppressing other people. And that's how it goes. And that narrative carries over in America, in Canada, etc., because of the South Asian departments, because of Indology, because of how it's taught, essentially. If you look at mm. that uh, manual that you just talked about, right, same thing. That's what they focus on, right? It's all about, you know, caste. And they say, you know, the, anybody who is not Dalit Bahujan does not have a right to speak up. Okay. No, no, it's it's not just that. Uh, you, it's not sufficient to be Dalit Bahujan. Also, you have to be their kind of Dalit Bahujan. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, that's the whole point. So, so you you you're not allowed to be someone because see, ye log bolte hai, you're a Hindutva supremacist. Ek to see, these people don't understand Indian politics. Pata nahi kis kone ke gade hain ye log. Uh, Hindutva politics is a subaltern movement. Hindutva politics could not have come up until and unless the SCST OBC community in India would not have participated in it. Ram Janmabhoomi was basically a subaltern movement. Usme, uh, yar, 
कुछ तो फैक्ट्स रखो अपर कास्ट हैं कितने इंडिया में परसेंटेज में सेवेंटी परसेंट ऑफ हिंदूज अगर वो सो कॉल्ड इनके अपर कास्ट लोअर कास्ट वर्ड्स आई तो डोंट यूज दैट आई से एस सी एस टी ओ बी सी बिकॉज इंडिया हैज अ रिजर्वेशन सिस्टम सो एंड अदर्स सो सेवेंटी परसेंट ऑफ इंडियन हिंदूज आर एस सी एस टी ओ बी सी अब अरे हिंदुत्व को वोट अगर मोदी को इतने परसेंटेज लोगों का वोट मिला है तो उसमें कौन सा वोट मिला होगा कुछ तो अपनी अक्कल करो एंड यू नो नाउ द बेस्ट थिंग दैट कुड हैव हैपेंड फॉर हिंदुत्व हिंदुइज्म बीजेपी ऑल हिंदू ऑर्गेनाइजेशन आउटसाइड इंडिया इज द प्यू सर्वे वो जब बोले ना उनके मुंह पे मारो और आए बोले चाचा ये पढ़ ले अभी तू बता द मोस्ट द वन ग्रुप दैट सपोर्ट्स द मैक्सिमम अमाउंट ऑफ डाइवर्सिटी इन इंडिया इज द पीपल हु वोट फॉर बीजेपी एन आर हिंदुत्व अब क्या करना चाहते हो भाई Well, mere, see this the problem is uh, I think Ben Shapiro said the perfect thing I say disagree with many things he says but ye line uske achhi thi ki facts don't care about your feelings facts are facts India is a plural society does India have problems obviously India has problems koi bhi rahega usko 2 minute mein pata chal jayenge India mein problems hain but that doesn't mean India ye to aisa ho gaya ki I am allowed to have a grand narrative. I am allowed to have a you know goody goody image about my culture, which by the way has thrown homosexuals off roofs, in the case of Christianity and Islam. But you Hindu, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to have that romanticized version. We are not giving you permission to have that romantic version. Look, when when it comes to the outsider. I'm with Nikunj and Pushpita. Nikunj and I will have our debate on Jati Varna. We will have a fierce debate. Maru, tere aage kyo kare? Piche room me karenge pa cha cha. Baad me karenge. Tere aage to sare saath me ladne wale hain. Udhar nahi karenge. To mera point ye hai. Anyways, so now let's go to another question. I think one more thing I want to say is that even in Dalit, when we talk about these issues, we are very India-centric, but we need to remember. So CAA, right? the 70 to 80% of the people being helped under caa were dalits but somehow at that time dalits didn't matter at all yeah. and you know 60s 80% of the hindu minorities left in pakistan and bangladesh are dalit yet we never care about atrocities being committed on dalits in pakistan and bangladesh yeah. then at pakistan that point pakistan amazing country hai <laughs> No, but my point is उस समय दलित नहीं याद आते हैं उस समय आइडेंटिटी क्या हो जाती है ओलंपिक्स table hindus don't even get a seat at the table so hindus should realize that but while they realize that they should not make the mistake of denying see i always say this because i am very very particular 
I will never deny the problems of my society, but I'll never let the other side decide the rules of my game that I'm playing. No, no, I will decide the rules of my game. Tu kaun hai bhai? Tu mere ko aake bolega mera religion kya hai? The weirdest thing, and and I want to share this anecdote. When I went to Canada to study. लाइब्रेरी में गए अच्छा जी देखते हैं वॉर आर द बुक्स ऑन इंडिया हिंदू हिंदुज्म इंडियन कल्चर इन जनरल लो एंड बिहोल्ड नॉट इवन वन रिटर्न फ्रॉम इंडियन पॉइंट ऑफ व्यू आई लाइक ये भाई ये क्या हो रहा है मेरी लाइफ में मुझे नहीं मालूम था मैं इतना गंदा हूँ एंड एंड आई लुक आई कम फ्रॉम आर्य समाज बैकग्राउंड माई इफ एनी बडी हू नोज वन ऑफ द मोस्ट स्ट्रॉन्गेस्ट एंटी कास्ट मूवमेंट्स इन इंडिया इज आर्य समाज लाइक एनी आर्य समाजी किड विल हैव अ डिसडेन फॉर जाति वर्ना it's it's just ingrained in them sure. because wo bachpan se raise hote hain aur unko sikhaya jata hai ki ye sabse ghatiya cheez hai jo hai manna hai nahi manna hai aapko jo karna hai karo bhai hum humne to aise hi dekha hai are samaj mein and imagine karo wahan jaake mere jaise bacche ko dekhta hu maine bola yaar kamal hai matlab ye ye wala kaun sa decide kiya hai and everything acha and look my back was broken when aurangzeb was romanticized look मैं तुम्हारी हर बकवास सहन कर लूंगा बट औरंगजेब इज अल आई एम विलिंग टू डाई ऑन नहीं उधर नहीं जाने दूंगा तुमको तुम्हारे यार औरंगजेब भी अच्छा हो गया अभी मतलब ये क्या हो रहा है औरंगजेब को अच्छा बना दिया और तो कुछ बाकी नहीं रहा था औरंगजेब को भी अच्छा बना दो एंड ऑन पाकिस्तानी हिंदू शेम ऑन द लेफ्ट इन इंडिया शेम ऑन द प्रोग्रेसिव इन अमेरिका एक आवाज नहीं निकाल सकते the entire community of pakistan is subaltern hindus entire community of pakistan wahan pe caste nahi dikhti aapko i know of cases where pakistani parliamentarians will shake hands with pakistani hindus aur baad mein jaake sabun se haath dhote the tabhi nahi sharam aati thi inko tab inko muh band karna hota tha tha hala third rated log third class log hai ye log sabse third class log agar koi paida hue hain तो ये लोग हैं और इनको शर्म नहीं आती एंड आई डोंट केयर दे आर नॉट द वंस आई वांट टू आंसर बट लेट्स टेक मोर क्वेश्चंस बिकॉज़ वी हैव अ लॉट ऑफ देम ओके सो वी टुक द न्यूयॉर्क वन वी टुक द कॉलोनियल वन हां दिस इज गुड निकुंज हाउ डू वी गेट टेंपल्स टू टॉक अबाउट पॉलिटिकल इश्यूज एंड बी मोर रिलेटेबल टू यंगर पीपल इन टर्म्स ऑफ एक्सप्लेनिंग रिचुअल्स एटसेट्रा आल्सो निकुंज आई वांट टू ऐड हियर आई वाज एंड दिस इज माय ओपिनियन just putting it on record i was disappointed with the community's handling of the swami narayan temple issue i think the hindu community has behaved atrociously in that in that entire narrative the way they have been apologetic look it was a clear cut case of people being cheap tumko sasta labor chahiye tum sare chindi ho chindi rahoge tum sare third class soch rakhte ho aur tumhari wajah se puri community ka naam kharab ho gaya wo ek temple ki wajah se so how do we tackle these kinds of things where individual cases where temples behave atrociously happen but also i see temples don't have interesting reach out at least maine nahi dekhe yaar main delaware mein kuch temples mein gaya hu toronto mein gaya hu so i can tell you the temples where i have been now you'll be like ye charvak kyu jaate jaate hai bhai aisa acha lagta hai temple jaake so hum bhi jaate hai but the point is do you and temples are reducing in numbers right the community also doesn't seem to visit a lot of temples is what i have heard last time ah so let's talk multiple there are multiple things here number one is i agree with you that the community's handling of the baps issue is very bad um for two reasons one is ki again we don't you know beta go and study math don't worry about all these issues right that whole idea the second thing though is it's guilty until proven innocent it's become reverse 
yes, there was charges made, all these things. Have, let the investigation by, let the investigation go through. Let the facts come out. Let's see what really the reality is. Because when you look at overall the things that go on, you know, are there problems? Sure, there could be labor law violations. The moment you make it a caste issue, that's where you start to have a major problem. So that New York Times article and then the community's handling of it has been, we have done a poor job, just generally speaking. And But it's not late. We can, you know, organize ourselves and come back. And that's what we are trying to do by going to and talking to people about this. Number one, let the law take its turn. We don't need to call people guilty until proven innocent, that, that reverse thing. Let the law play, play its, uh, you know, American system will do what it needs to do. Let BAPS also handle it. We There is a group of uh, temples who are going to be, who are coming together to issue some of the, you know, their concerns. So, oh, right. so that's first thing. Second thing is, how do we get temples to be more active? Uh, I will tell you very frankly, if you go to most temples about politics, they will shut the door on you. You won't, you won't get anywhere. What we need to do as Hindus is keep politics outside for a second, go in and talk about issues. Why aren't people coming to the temple? What is the concern? What, how, are, how can temples be more relevant to the younger generation? Because most of the, I would say even 80% of the people who attend temples today are usually immigrant Hindus who have come from India. Uh, the younger generation who was born and raised here does not go to temples. You know, this is very unfortunate. So in 30 years or even 10 years, you'll see, start to see a dramatic drop. So temples need to wake up and see what the issue is. And I would say, someone who has grown up here, is that when I go to a temple, I don't see what is relevant for me. I can do a mantra, puja, and five minutes, I'm out. But what else is going on? Some temples are taking that seriously. What they're doing now is they are going into the community and they are having those conversations. They're also providing... Uh, they're holding like you know classes. They're holding conferences. They're holding um, you know uh, sort of even other types of helps in the temples. But that is a minority population. The ones who understand the dynamics is a. But we need to have that knowledge, that that methodology implemented in multiple temples because temples serve as a community center, not just to go do puja and bhakti and stuff, but also as a community center. So I think we need to make sure that that, that methodology is replicated in multiple temples. There are a few temples. If you look at the Ganesh temple, for example, in New York, right, they do a great job. They have a community center. They do conferences. They have the puja, bhakti, all that stuff that goes on too. But they have other things that go on. So it's And, and the temple management there is very engaged in inter-religious dialogues in the community, in the greater state, in the greater New York City area, things like that. So I would say, like, that's one good example. You have other temples also out on the West Coast. So yeah, say, hey, but out of the thousand, two thousand temples, that's a minority community, right? The Durga Temple in in uh, in uh, Virginia is also like that. They also get involved. So as say, so we need to promote more and more of that. And that only happens by us. We need to get to the management. We need to talk to them and say, look, show them the picture that tomorrow when you die, who's going to run this temple and why is someone going to take over? You know, you had your time. You were the doctor. You were the lawyers. You were the successful businessman. You wanted to do something for the community. Great. But in 30 years or 10 years, you will no longer be here. What's the next step? So the community has to go out and talk to them. Second thing is run for the boards. Be more involved in the temple of volunteer management so that you are always there and they have no choice but to listen to you. Right. And if none of those works, go and start your own. Nothing is stopping you from starting your own. Make it the way you want to. Right. Even if it's a small temple, even if it's a small group, at least the quality is there. Right. So go and do that. And obviously we're we're happy to work with everybody as well on this. All right. So 
All right, I'm going to go to the next question. Pushpita, so somebody has asked, do you think it's the lack of inclusion and mutual respect that there has been there in Western society in for decades in their culture? That could be the reason that they get Hinduism wrong. I think that that question itself is making too many assumptions about Western society, which I don't agree with, Baba. There are many immigrants living there. If they're not so inclusive, what the hell are all these people doing there? So please calm down. So chacha shanto jao. But the point is this I'll twist this question around and put it to you like this, Pushpita. My struggle in the West was they did not understand mutual respect. What they did not understand was how can these people say we are different, we live our lives differently, but still want to live together. Again, pupil makes my point right where it says Indians don't want to marry with, amongst each other but they also want to live with each other so this can only be happening when they have mutual respect for each other and the polls show that so have you had this struggle Pushpita where all they can give you is tolerance while you keep demanding mutual respect so I'll frame it a little differently. I think one of the issues Hindus struggle with, and I think this is a struggle everywhere, not, I think, you know, we are all here in America because as you said, it's a great place to be. So I'm certainly not going to cry any oppression Olympics here. I love my life here. Um, but I think even in India, that we are, and everywhere we go, we are a very complex faith. We are an experiential faith. So everybody's experience of Hinduism is slightly different. So it's very hard to agree on what is a Hindu itself. And there is the complexity of trying to explain a very ancient indigenous faith in a world that is very linear and structured by Abrahamic paradigms. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a, I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing. It's just what it is. So you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. And so you're starting with an inbuilt handicap, no matter where you are. Even in India, I think that's a problem. Um, but I think the so I think that's that's sort of the issue we have to deal with. And that is why the conversations with the kids are so important. No, and so I'm not I'm not going to say there's a grand conspiracy against us, but you know, we we it's hard to give you Hinduism in a sound bite. And that's in a world of social media where everything is about sound bites. You gotta get something in 30 seconds. How are you going to explain Hinduism in 30 seconds? Is there a book I can read and become an expert on Hinduism? Doesn't exist. So that is one of our challenges of just being in the modern age and being the kind of faith we are. So I think it's something that everyone has to deal with and work towards no matter where they live, whether that's India or Pakistan or USA or Britain or any other place. But back to the Pew research, it actually validated, just like you said, you know, there is this big concept of melting pot and the, the, the analogies have been made as melting pot versus patchwork quilt. And who decides that the melting pot is a better place to be? You know, ultimately in a melting pot, everyone is sort of giving up their identity and becoming part of some melted creation. It's a pretty violent process if you think about a melting pot. A patchwork quilt is a much more, you know, uh, humane way of doing things. Everyone lives with their own thing. I firmly believe that it goes back to the discussion we were having on Jati Varna. We have a lot of groups. I mean, we are full of different types of groups. And I think India historically has been peaceful because it's been home to hundreds and thousands of different groups, all slightly all slightly thinking that they are superior for some, whatever reasons that may be, and slightly disdainful of other groups, but feeling that you could sort of coexist without interacting with each other too much. 
Now, you can have another one-hour debate on is that better, is the melting pot better? But I firmly think that is how India has actually managed the sheer staggering diversity that lives there because we are not all trying to become one melting pot. And different cultures and histories and countries across the, uh, you know, across the centuries have tried to come up with this preferred one melting pot. And that's where all the conflict begins, because whose flavor gets to dominate the melting pot? And that's where a lot of the world's genocides and problems have come around with. So I actually yeah. see I actually celebrate the multi the patchwork quilt as opposed to a melting pot. Yeah, and, and I think it stems from the difference anxiety in the West. I think yes. that anxiety that difference generates, they, they get very, uh, they get ants in their pants, basically, when they see difference and they want to purge it. They want to understand it, purge it, and make it standardized. That that expectation of standardizing everything. Yeah, you know, it's everywhere the there has to be. Well, it's the monotheistic attitude, right? It has to be one way or the highway. So whether you call it melting pot or the right way or the, you know, whatever, you think they, it's, it's a hard concept to wrap your head around if you've not grown up that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, go, no, ahead, Chris, go ahead. I was going to use the word that you just talked about difference anxiety. You know, there are two words that Raji Malhotraji uses, difference anxiety and comfort with chaos. Right. And if you look at the Indian society, there's always been comfort with chaos. You know, you feel even within your family or anything else, generally speaking. And the reason that exists is because, of the inherent, the integral dharmic aspect of our society that says that, you know, you could be as different as the Advaitins to the Charvakas, right? You could be so different, yet you all re recognize and understand that ultimately, right? The one truth, that one um, highest truth is can be discovered in different ways. And you don't have to kill each other for that. You know, you may have a very different approach to this, but that ethos, right, that ethos that has survived within the society in India, it is fundamentally different than the Western society because the Western society believes in exceptionalism, right? You have this idea that we are the best and the exceptional to this whole thing because we are like that. Anybody who's not on that on, on that framework must be classified differently or must be assimilated into the melting pot or must be assimilated into this idea of like, okay, you know, you need to shun your original um, identity and become with us. That could be conversion. That could be changes in like your, you know, your, your economic status or whatever the different things are versus in India, you are who you are and people may not like you. People may think that they're better than you sometimes, or you may think you're, you're better than them. But you know what? That's okay because we don't, we're not going around killing people and, and doing that. That's where the difference comes in. And when policies are put in place, like what happened in the colonial times, when they started to say, well, I want to classify the society because I, this society is too weird and too bizarre. And we're going to govern it in the ways we want to based on our Victorian nations, uh, notions of purity and, uh, you know, on, and religion and things like that. When they started to put that in there, that's what exacerbated a lot of the social issues and created this um, this differences um, where they did not exist in terms of like, you know, I'm better than you and therefore I need to be legislated and I'm going to become better than which you are from a legislation perspective and you need to be thrown in jail or you need to be annihilated, things like that. So that difference between the Western viewpoint and the, the non-Western or the Dharmic viewpoint, that's where the fundamental issues come in as far as the world is concerned. All right. So I, this is an important question, Nikunj. I think you should answer this. So somebody has asked, any substance with the recent Buga Buga narrative about white supremacists allied to Hindutva? Uh, is Kona aligned with any other groups that are being attacked? 
we work, I mean, <laughs> so let's talk about you know, white supremacists and Hindutva. You know, these, this, first of all, this idea of Hindutva, uh, again, I am, I don't, I don't, I'm not, you know, I, I don't subscribe to that idea in general because of the fact that it's used as a very nasty epithet against us. Every time we try to have legitimate concerns, there's Hindutva, right? So we'll, we'll stay away from that. But white supremacy, if you look at what is happening around the world, okay, it's where there's Nazism, or the erasers of native cultures in America, in Canada, all over the place. This is what has been responsible for it. This, the, the combined with the whole Christian belief that you know we are the best in the world and everybody else needs to be saved. Those two things combined have resulted in deaths and destruction of hundreds of millions of people and civilizations. Okay, if you consider this thing as so-called Hindutva, this monster that has been created that doesn't exist, this specter, right, is very different. How many thousands, millions, billions of people have been systematically erased, killed, or thrown into concentration camps, things like that, by such a quote-unquote Hindutva ideology? There is no data for it because it doesn't exist, okay? They're trying to conjure, conjure up a lot of data, essentially, to, to show, show that, oh yeah, you know, Trump is a white supremacist must be same thing as Modi, and therefore the two are the same. And by the way, white supremacist, uh, Hindutva derives... Uh, the so-called Hindutva derives its inspiration for white supremacy and vice versa because RSS said, said something about fascism. This whole narrative is then put upon Hindus. You know, if you agree or disagree on Hindutva, that's not the point here. But that's not what defines Hindus, essentially. But they're trying to show that, you know, the immigrant Hindus, they're trying to steal this story of social justice. In fact, they are the privileged people. In fact, they are closest to the white supremacists because that's what they do in India. And they showed up here and that's what they're going to do here as well. So there is com I am completely against putting these types of words together because they are, it's very dangerous and outright racist against our community. All right. Pushpita, is the swastika still misinterpreted? Uh, and uh, are, uh, is the community still facing any issues? Yes, um, actually, the swastika battle is one which uh, Kona has fought or has done a lot of work on, um, because back in the summer, New York was actually trying to pass a bill that would have trod the swastika as a hate symbol to every school child. And then Maryland did one, and I think actually in New Jersey, so Nikunji can talk about that more. But yes, it is, it is absolutely an issue. And I think that is another area where I think it's probably better for Nikunji to talk about it, because he's been in the thick of the fight uh that's uh, that's been going on in new york and now new jersey yeah i mean it's it's a continuing issue uh there's a legislation part of it where you know it i think most people in america or in canada in this side of the world they're not uh they're coming out of ignorance so they just have learned the word swastika since growing up saying this is the hitler symbol so our one is education part the second part is uh there's a pervasive uh presence of the word everywhere so one of the things that we have done is uh, launched a campaign called the Swastika Education and Awareness Campaign. So going to Google, going to various police departments, going to fire departments, going to townships to educate them about the difference between the two and say, when you see this symbol in a Hindu household or in this setting, that is called swastika. When you see the symbol in on, as a hate symbol, similar looking symbol, that is called the Hakenkreuz or the hooked cross. And this is a lifelong campaign, essentially, that Kona will continue to run. We're working with Buddhist organizations, uh, not just Indian Buddhists, but a Japanese Buddhist, Korean Buddhist, things like that, as well as Jain groups, uh, even Native American groups. Anybody who has either swastika or a similar looking symbol that they hold as sacred to make sure that their religion is not depicted as this 
Nazi Aryan religion, essentially. Got it. Got it. So this is another question uh, any of you can take it. So can the Hindu movement in general learn from the conservative movement in the American, North American continent for that sense? And maybe, you know, they can get rid of the religious parts. Is there something they can learn there against wokeism and all this nonsense that has come up? Um, so there are differences. And again, I'm not an expert on this on this subject, so I'll I won't be able to say much about it. But there are differences in the way the conservative movement is versus the Hindu movements, right? Uh, I would not I would not make the mistake of conflating the two. Uh, we always jump to this conclusion that you know Hindus are equal to the conservatives, and then everybody else is equal to the progressives and things like that. Hindus come in all all shades and, sh and sizes. We cannot be pigeonholed into conservatives or progressives because we are dharmics. Our tradition is very different. In some places, we may have a quote-unquote conservative view. Some places, we may have a quote-unquote progressive view. So uh, aligning with one particular group doesn't make sense. We should rather think about what is good for us, what is good for the Hindu society, and then pick the different types of things that we want to align. Some values on the conservative side make sense. Some values on the progressive side may make sense. Who knows, right? You have to evaluate what is important for Hindus. And I can tell you that... Um, with the recent elections with Biden or the previous elections with Trump, there were positives and negatives from both the administrations. Hindus should not think about that, okay, I'm going to align myself with the Trump administration or I'm going to align myself. And again, this is my opinion. It's not like you know anybody can is free to do what they want to do. But the idea is let's take from each administration what is beneficial or what is harmful for the Hindus and engage with them. Because if you just align yourself with one particular ideology or group, then if that group is no longer in power, you are screwed, okay? So we have to think about what is important for Hindus as a, as a set of issues and then see whether the conservative side makes sense, whether the progressive side makes sense or none of the above, right? That's what I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or you could be like me and go libertarian. <laughs> or either way, exactly. Yeah, I think I'm sure, anyways, Kona being a 513C, we would never, we are not with any political um, affiliation anyways. And I would actually say that Hinduism is one of the most liberal faiths in many ways. You know, we just concluded Pride Month and we talked to, you know, we have a few passionate members who identify as LGBTQ. And we had a really interesting discussion on how accepting our faith has been of all these concepts of gender neutrality, gender fluidity. Uh, so, you know, are you saying is that conservative? Is that liberal? That's why I think it's very important to stay away from these labels. Because these are modern-day political labels, and our faith is really ancient and predates all of these. All right. Absolutely. So, Pushpita, why don't you take Somebody has made this comment. <laughs> you have to understand, Indians in the West are seen as cowardly, weak, kutrapali kind of a thing, who can be easily bullied and just takes it like he deserves it. Is it true? Oh, God. A lot to unpack there. Um well, that's what I think I would start with saying that stereotyping, uh, because, you know, no community of so many people can be one of anything. Um, and I think also we are at the end of the day immigrants, right? And there is a lot that comes, uh, most of us are still, and that community is changing, but there's a lot that comes with an immigrant experience. And for a good part of your life, you're straddling two worlds. So you just don't have time for a lot of actors. Uh, activism and honestly yes we could be more active but i don't think your average american born and brought up here is super is super politically active either 
I gave an example of discovering a whole layer of local bureaucracy. And I was talking to one of them and I said, I'm sorry, I didn't even know your group existed a year ago, so I couldn't have lobbied you for anything. She's like, don't worry. I grew up here until I till I started exploring this as a career option. I didn't know it existed either. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I think we have a tendency to be harsh on ourselves and we certainly need to do much better as a community. Um, there are a lot of groups we can learn from. Um, I would not say we are cowardly. I would just say we have we have a lot going on. We just need to realize where the priorities are because, you know, and Hindu Dharma is a wonderful example of this, that there is a role for everybody, right? You need to be pursuing knowledge. You need to be pursuing wealth, but you also need to be pursuing, you know, making sure you are, you know, appropriately defended, security, all that stuff. And I think some of this is really coming down to are we making a space for ourselves as a community that can make sure it gets equal treatment that we are entitled to under the laws here. I think what the point was that it was about, stereotypes are bad and if they create a stereotype like this about hindus and then the thing is that uh we can write their books we can do their scholarship we can do anything we can just run roughshod over them i yes. think that that's yeah. what the intention that of the to, comment yeah. Yeah. that is something we have to fight back on yeah. and that so, is also so big I, I always say aggressive not aggressive but assertive that's yes. what yes. we should be absolutely and i can tell you with the swastika campaign you know uh, it was a very successful campaign last year. A lot of Hindus came together. Okay, a lot of Hindus came together in a very fast time frame, and other with other communities as well. And we made a point. We said, "This is our symbol. You cannot call it a symbol of hatred." Right. So there are people. I mean, Hindus have the you know wherewithal to do it when they are inspired in the right direction and when things come up in the right perspective. Most of us are busy with our lives. We want. We'd rather be you know, good citizens and we'd rather, these are issues that we don't want to continue to, you know, just have like the negativity. I think Hindus in general don't want negativity in the world. We want a positive, harmonious world. That's what our, we are, Krinavantam Vishwamari, and that's our, you know, motto essentially. We don't want, you know, to change, we just want, don't want chaos to be reigning. Unfortunately, others don't think that way. So we need to understand that it, our hand will be forced. So whether we like to just sit in our, uh, you know, our offices or at our golf clubs, uh, golf, uh, you know, clubs and things like that, uh, guess what? The reality is very different. Our kids are going through very different. So we have to understand that perspective too, and not spend 100% of our time fighting that, but at least turn our attention to that and see why that is a concern and why we should address it. All right. So last question, and uh, I think uh, Nikanj or Pushpita, Pushpita, you can also answer this. So okay, I'll go to Pushpita. So how can we help the coalition of Hindus of North America while volunteer for them, or sign up, or be informed? So Pushpita. But that's easy. Um, there are many levels of involvement. We are a volunteer-led organization, so we are only as strong as our volunteers are. And we can literally accommodate a whole range of uh, commitments. At the very least, follow us, look us up, follow us on social, uh, donate, become a volunteer, volunteer your time. And believe me, there's almost we can use almost every skill that there is out there. You know, whether you're into technology, whether you write or do graphics or lobby or communicate, whatever, there is a space for everybody. So this movement is only as strong as the people who join it. And I think it's a wonderful place because you get to meet a lot of like-minded people and you actually get to see, you get to make a difference. I think that is that is very rewarding. So I would encourage everybody to go look us up and join and donate. Great. 
and what what uh, what I'll do, guys, is it doesn't matter if you're listening to this on the audio version or you're going to be watching this later on or are watching it right now. You can just go to the description of the podcast. I'll leave the link to their website, and you can just click the link, and you will have all the information there on the website itself. All right, guys, time to wrap it up. Um, uh, this was a fun conversation. It's always interesting to hear multiple perspectives. Uh, so, Nikunj Pushpita, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast and chatting with us over here. No, thank you very much. It was our pleasure. Namaste. Thanks for having us. Namaste. All right, guys. Time to wrap today's discussion up. Like I said, the the website address for Kona will be there in the description of the podcast. Please go there and check them out and and do your bit. Uh, of one, uh, there's one space that I'm interested to watch out is now. There's going to be a lot of Hindu organizations that are going to be coming up in America, and I've said this. And all the organizations in America are like, "Tu kya baate karta rata hai?" But I'm telling you, there is a unique, distinct difference that is coming up in America. Maybe that is for another podcast some other day, where the and I'll tell you how I came across this. And these are going to be my closing comments uh, for the day. I got married to someone who is a Canadian, born and raised in there, and. my wife used to think she's indian only until she met me did she realize she's not indian she's canadian and that is the difference now there are a lot of indians who are going to be first generation immigrants who are going to go there they carry a different understanding they become americans and they will be coming up with a different idea of hinduism their approach to indian politics is going to be different they might be more hands on with indian politics unlike that maybe a generation like my wife's generation who's maybe second or third generation they're just kids born there they don't know anything about india other than shahrukh khan amir khan or the new bollywood people dancing and singing their songs that's their understanding of india they literally think india is what they see in the bollywood with the subtitles and when these two communities come together it's going to be a lot of fun so i'll just be sitting in the corner with my popcorn eating it all the time and watching all of that bundling down i'm not saying this in a negative way i like it i like it because what will come out of it is because the indians who have gone there from india will be pushing a certain narrative the indians who are born and raised there who are just there or people of indian origin who are just there who are just basically americans or canadians they have a different perspective i think this will be settled like it is now in uk i think uk is very settled because the indians over there have been there for a longer time <clears throat> unlike north america but that's my comment for the day check out kona go and visit the website if you like this video please subscribe to the channel like the video leave a comment become a member on youtube go and subscribe on patreon send your donations via upi if you're in india or buy the charvak podcast merch i'll see you guys next time until then namaste take care goodbye